And as you know, we've been looking at different individuals from the Old Testament and the New Testament. And we're calling it these individuals, renegades, rascals. And uh, I always forget the last one. Radicals. I think I, I, I think I always add rebellious ones. And I, I probably do just because I think there's a part of my own nature that's a little bit rebellious against the status quo. Um, and in order to bring change into your life, oftentimes you have to be a bit rebellious against what is the, the status quo. Uh, and all of these individuals that we've been looking at, whether it's Jeremiah or, you know, uh, I don't know who else we've looked at so far, um, Tommy brought a message. What was, who did Tommy teach about? Jeremiah. Jeremiah. And then Janie, Janie had an awesome message. She looked at Rahab in the Old Testament. And we really started the series uh, with the woman at the well. And so we've been looking at these individuals, and we're asking the question, how can God use us like he used them? And what we find is many of them are very young when God tapped them on the shoulder to use them. And that's true of the individual that we're going to look at this morning, the life of Daniel. And what I notice in, in the story of Daniel that's so profound is that Daniel lived three lives. He lived through the kingdom of Babylon through three kings. And so he went through this long period of history during the exile of Israel starting as a very young man, being exiled or taken away from his homeland in Israel into Babylon, and living now through three kings in the kingdom of Babylon, from a very young age all the way to the end of his life. And through that time period, we discover the three kind of stages of his life, or the the three lives that he lived. One is a young person, one is a middle-aged person, and one is an older, elderly person. And he finishes out his life at the end of Daniel, under the reign of Cyrus. And what we learn is three lessons. And it's the same three lessons that you and I must learn in our lives. As we move from our younger years to our middle-aged years to our elderly years. It's the story of every Christian's life. And there's three lessons. And the first lesson is the lesson of conversion. Daniel converted at a very young age to God. And his faith was very important to him that established and was the rudder of his life. The second is in his middle-aged years, he experienced a series of convolutions or twists and turns. And These are things that happen in our lives that we don't know are going to happen, but they just happen. They just spring upon you. And you're not aware of them, and all of a sudden, they happen, and there they are. These are the storms of life during the middle ages of years of your life. And Daniel experienced this and worked through that to be a faithful follower of God. And then at the end of Daniel's life, we find him convalescing. Now, we think of the term convalescing like a convalescent home where we put old people and we just kind of push them away. And we just, we eliminate them kind of from general population. Well, that's not the word at all. To convalesce is actually to get better. It's actually to be restored. 
And so what we find in the life of Daniel through his young age, his middle years, and his later years are the three lessons of life. Conversion, reacting or responding to the convolutions of life, and also convalescing well. So let's take a look at that. As we know, Daniel was from Israel, was raised in a godly family, and he was basically caught in a world war. Babylon had invaded. Assyria had already invaded Israel. Egypt had invaded Israel. And now Babylon was invading and attacking Egypt that was in Israel. And Israel just got caught between the crossfire. It was besieged about 600 B.C., about 2,600 years ago this happened. And Babylon took over as an empire, took over this region. And what we find is that Daniel, along with some of his friends, were taken into captivity to be trained and indoctrinated in the ways of Babylon culture. And it's in this environment, in this foreign environment, that we find young Daniel. And he learns these lessons. And so that's what we want to look at. It's the story of a young man and his friends that stayed the course, stayed, remained faithful to God. And they didn't just survive, they thrived. And I think the great lesson in life is to be able to respond to the crisis of life and not survive but thrive. That's what God wants for us. So let's take a look at it. If you have a Bible or if you have a text or you have it uh, on your phones, I would encourage you to take a look at Daniel chapter 1. In Daniel 1, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Actually, Nebuchadnezzar was the son of the king of Babylon. And he would later be named the king after his father died. But he was sent on the mission with the armies to attack Egypt in Israel. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. And then it says, the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and the nobles. And so what was very common in this particular time period is that if you, if you want to capture another land, another empire, you, you take its wealth and you take away its future. So you steal its wealth, you make it dependent on you, and you take away the most intelligent, sharp component of that, that empire, the, the, the ones that were being trained to be the future of the empire. And you indoctrinate them into your way of thinking, your culture, and you transform a nation, and you, you, you bring it in and fold it into a new empire. I mean, this is what happened with Rome. I mean, this is exactly the message of Caesar. It was a gospel message as we understand the word gospel, or euangelizio, or eo, is to actually uh, to evangelize or to, to, to spread a message that a new king had just come into power and, and that you would convert to this new kingdom and take on their ways. And the Jews and the early followers of Christ after Christ were faced with a dilemma in the Roman Empire of either 
following after Christ in this empire or going the way of Caesar and following him. And the same was true for Daniel and his friends. And what we see here are three things about Daniel's life that represent what I believe to be the three lessons of our lives. And early in his life, the first thing that we learn about in verse 4 is that Daniel converted early as a young person. He converted to God, to faith in God, probably raised in a very godly Jewish family. And he embraced his faith. And he grew in stature and strength and intelligence. And it says here that the king wanted these these, uh, youths in whom there was no defect, good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding, discerning knowledge, who had the ability for serving in the king's court. And that's really all we know about Daniel and his friends. But we understand something very important. These were sharp, young men. But we know in the culture of Israel that not only were they trained in terms of their understanding of the world, their intelligence, they were also being trained in their faith. And a big part of a person's intelligence and their makeup is not simply their intelligence or what school they went to, but their faith as well. It's a very, very big part of it. And Daniel was among those sharpest young people from his own country that probably early in life made the decision to follow after God. It was the way he was trained. He was probably raised that way. And the king noticed that about these young men. These faithful young men who followed God were very attractive young people because they had integrated their faith with their intelligence and their development as young people. And I think early in life is the best time to bring about the major parts of conversion in your life. The, the, The conversion in your life to not only a conversion of new thought, when you're going off to college, training in a new profession, developing your your, your profession, and you're converting to a way of thinking or, or, or a way of, of understanding or a devoting to a particular subject, but it's a conversion of faith as well. I was at swim practice on Saturday, and, and I met a new swimmer that's on our team, Cleo, an African-American young man, and I sat and had coffee with him, asked him a few questions, where are you from, and how'd you get to the team, and discovered the story about his, his life. And most of these swimmers come from a swimming background. So I said, did you swim or did you play water polo in college or high school? Yeah, I went to Loyola and, and, I, and I was a water polo player and then I went to the Air Force and then I transferred to the Army and, and, uh, and I became part of the intelligence department that, that does kind of almost reconnaissance and research and diplomacy in foreign countries. And he's learned languages and, and, um, and he will help with the bridging of the gap between foreign countries' cultures and our cultures and, and understands language and culture and, and how, to, how to conduct diplomacy for the army. And very, very sharp young man. No question. He's been trained well. Been trained well by our government. And, he, and he's a d- delightful young guy. And I looked at him and I thought, this is, the, this is Daniel. And I don't know where he is in his faith, but part of his development, like all young people, is not just what you know in your head, it's who you know to be the God of the universe. Who is your God? 
Who is the one that you've committed your life to? And, and I don't know about this, this young person, but I do know one thing. Daniel teaches us that early in life, you need to have a conversion experience that sets, it's like a rudder that sets the course of the rest of your life. It's not just your brains. It's not just your training. It's not just your intelligence. It's your faith that determines the course of your life. And we're going to see this worked out in the life of Daniel. Now, on the bottom of my Bible, in, in my other Bible, in the book of Daniel here, I've, I've written a quote by John Wooden. And, and I don't know why I wrote it, but I must have wrote it many years ago, and here it is. Don't focus on the big outcome, but the basics. And I wondered, why did I write that quote? Then I wrote next to it, Luke 16.10. So I looked up Luke 16.10, and it says, He who is faithful in the very small things is faithful in much. And I believe probably the reason why I wrote that there is because of the idea that it's not the outcome that you focus on, it's the basics, And one of the basics that oftentimes we miss in life is our conversion experience. One of the most important decisions is what you think about God. And if you come to a place where it's time to put your faith and confidence in God, a conversion actually happens. A change, a life, a radical lifetime, life time change happens that changes the course of your life. I was listening to a podcast. I listened to the Carrie Newhoff leadership podcast, and they had this guy on, Reggie Campbell, who mentors men. He's written several books. And he told his own life story. 30 years ago, he and his wife were going to break up. And he said she moved out, went to live with the pastor and the, the pastor's wife and the, and the family of the pastor to find a place to live. And Here he was in the house all by himself, and he went back to church, and now he was ready. He had come to the end of his own rope. He realized he could not go forward in this marriage and in life without a relationship with God. He was done. Gave his life to Christ, turned his life around, called his wife 30 years ago, and says, I've put my faith in Christ. My life has changed. Would you come home? And she said, you're... Your, your words, I know you're, you haven't changed. I, I, I'm not sure. You're, you sound like the same person, but what you're saying sounds different. I'm willing to give it a try. Would you come back for one day, second day? Would you stay another day? And what she noticed 30 years ago is that Reggie, his life had completely changed. And sometimes a radical conversion needs to happen in our lives to get us to focus on the fact that God is in charge of every area of our life. And it's not just one conversion, by the way. There are many conversions in our lives. The conversion of who you believe God is, a conversion of your whole life, every area of your life, your checkbook, your time, your profession, your relationships, a radical conversion of what you believe about what you have and what God has given you. I think a lot of people today have given their lives to Christ and the church, but they haven't given their money. They haven't given their time. They haven't given their profession. They haven't given anything else to God. So there they are with this faith in God. They believe, God, you're in charge. Jesus, I believe you are the one. No question. But the rest of their lives are still unconverted, and they're wondering, why is my life not changing? A radical conversion has to happen. 
at some point in your life to realize what you have is not your own. You come to a whole new understanding about your money, that God has given you everything you have to be a steward of it, to enjoy it, but also to realize there is greater blessing in giving it away than hoarding it or holding it or spending it yourself. And until you understand that biblical principle, until a conversion happens in your life, you will forever be frustrated with what you have. The same thing is true with your time. Until you realize God has given me so many years, Psalm 90, 10, 60, 70 years, if strength holds out, 80 years, Psalm 90, verse 10 says. And if that's true, God owns every one of my days. What's he going to do with it? I turn it over to him. I watch what he does. Every day is an exploration, is an adventure of what God can do with my life. My time, also an opportunity for ministry, serving other people. My time is not, my profession, the, what I do for a living has an impact in the kingdom of God. It's not just work. You're working toward a greater purpose. Building a better generation a better future generation, a better culture for the next generation. God has given us that opportunity. And so a conversion has to happen at some point. The second thing I notice about Daniel, it says here that Daniel was a young person that had gone through a very significant conversion. The king noticed that because he was good-looking, showing intelligence and branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding, discerning, sharp, serving in the king's court. And he says that, it says here that the king had ordered them to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The king appointed them daily ration from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank, and he appointed them that they should be educated for three years, at the end of which they would enter into the king's personal service. Now among them from the sons of Judah were Daniel and all the rest of these individuals that are listed, and the commander comes to them, assigns them new names, and and an education and gives them great quarters to live in and the best food of the land. And these were sharp individuals that are now on a whole new training program. And here comes the second lesson in life. It's the convolutions of life. Daniel is no longer in Israel. He's no longer in familiar territory living out his faith among people that get him, that get his faith. He's now in a Babylonian culture that believes in a totally different God, a totally different set of, of, of values, and he's actually been given meat that has been sacrificed to idols. And Daniel has to make a choice at the kind of person he's going to be reacting to these new circumstances that he's been given. He didn't ask for them. He didn't ask to go to Babylon. We don't ask for the circumstances of our life. We don't ask for the storms of our life. They just happen. They come upon you, and are you ready? And here's the critical thing about Daniel. In Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank, so he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself, and God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials, and the commander of the officials said, I'm afraid of what the Lord might say, and Daniel came up with a plan, and the plan was give us vegetables and we'll prove that God can do great work in us if we are not defiled by a law that we believe in. 
Daniel drew a line in the sand. And what the, the rest of the, the chapter 1 is about is the success of Daniel. And so Daniel's and his friends are eating vegetables because they believed that they could not defile the law of God which said do not eat any meat that was sacrificed to a foreign god. They knew that. And they, purity was important to them. And so they drew that line in the sand and they refused to compromise and they believe that God can make up the difference. And sure enough, it says that at the end of 10 days, their appearance seemed better, and they were fatter than all the other youth who had been eating the king's choice food. And the overseer continued with their food, their choice food, and the wine that they were to drink, and kept giving them vegetables. And these four youth, God gave them knowledge, intelligence, and every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel, even understanding of all kinds of visions and dreams. Daniel's out. Daniel and his friends outperformed all the rest of those that were in a training program. But what he did was really important. He drew a line in the sand and he had made up his mind long before he got to this point. Long before he got to the point of, what should I do in this situation? See, convolutions is a time of twists and turns, but unless you know in advance how you're going to respond, Before you get there, failure is inevitable. You don't wait until you come into a circumstance in your life to decide how you're going to respond. What am I going to do in that situation? I don't know. We'll just make it up as we go. You don't make it up. You react. You'll do things to survive. But if you decide, this is what I believe God wants me to do, in this area of my life, and I focus on that. My daughter, who was supposed to be preaching this morning, reminded me that, 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 that purity and devotion to God's word is almost overrated in our culture today. It's really odd to be a follower of Christ and to follow what God's word in every area of our lives. It's hard. It's difficult. You look strange. You look different than everybody else because you're following after God's plan for your life. But what I find interesting here is that Daniel outperformed. His life got better. He outperformed everyone else as a result of being obedient to what he believed God wanted him to do. And so he thought through, what am I going to do? And he probably practiced this early in his life. See, practice makes perfect. It's true in sports. It's true in in music. It's true in dance. It's true in education. Practice makes perfect. You've got to practice what you are going to become. So he practiced not eating meat, sacrificed to idols. So when he got to the point of when he was required to do that, he decided I had already drawn a line in the sand. And my daughter reminds me that the drinking the king's wine was not a violation of God's word. But he chose to step even further back from the line so that he wasn't standing on the line. See, I think that's a brilliant insight that he even stepped further back because obedience to God's word was so important. During the time of convolutions, when things happen in our lives, are we drawing lines in the sand? Are we deciding ahead of time how we're going to react, how we're going to respond? My best friend, J.P. Jones, great friend, has told the story many times. We were on staff together many, many years ago sitting in a Starbucks study, preparing a message, and a woman had seen him 
from a distance and walked over and, and I guess had determined this was the one for her. And walked up and said, hi, I'm so-and-so, take me, I'm yours. And JP didn't say anything. She looked down and goes, is that a Bible? He looks up and goes, yep. Are you a pastor? And he goes, yep. Folded up his stuff, stood up, began to walk away. See, he had already known what he was going to do. He didn't decide in that moment. He wasn't thinking like, well, I wonder what I'll do in this situation. You need to think through situations in your life before they ever happen. Because like Daniel, he made up his mind way in advance how he would respond because he didn't want to violate God's word. He knew that. So his reaction was the response of a life of discipline and obedience. The third thing that we learn from Daniel is the rest of the book of Daniel. It's Daniel chapter 2 all the way to Daniel chapter 12. And as I mentioned, Daniel lives through the, the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar and the kingdom of Belshazzar. And during the reign of Cyrus, Daniel finally dies. And what I find through the rest of the book of Daniel is Daniel's success in another culture and the king's response and reaction to this young man. That this was a young man of faith. This was a young man that maintained a priority all the way through the end of his life. This is the convalescing time of our lives. We've gone through our young life and we've made some several conversions. We've gone through the middle part of our life with all the convolutions and all the twists and turns and the storms and we've decided to be obedient and do what Daniel did and draw some lines in the sand and watch God bring us blessing and, and watch how we can thrive in those situations. And now the rest of our lives, we're in a period of convalescence. And the word convalescence doesn't mean what I think a lot of people think it means, which is to be kind of put away, but it's to become healthy and strong again, slowly over time, after illness, weakness, or injury, or after experiencing the convolutions of life. See, it's getting better. Maturity doesn't just come with age, naturally. You have to work at it. The things I'm doing now will make me the kind of person I want to remain being throughout my final years of life. Daniel remained faithful to God. We discover that in Daniel chapter 6. And one of the stories in this section, Daniel, as we understand, remained faithful along with his friends to worshiping God. And at one point, it was outlawed to pray to any other god but the god of Babylon. So here's Daniel faced with a, a major problem. It says in Daniel chapter 6, verse 10, Daniel knew that the document was signed, a document or decree that stated that if anyone worshipped another god, they must die. And so this is what it says about Daniel in verse 10. He entered his house. Now the roof of his chamber had windows, and he opened them toward Jerusalem. 
continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before God as he had been doing previously throughout his whole life. He maintained an attitude of devotion to God, even into the later part of his years. And rather than growing old and bitter and angry and selfish and cynical and everything else, he grew stronger and stronger in his faith. He convalesced well. He became the kind of man that said, I don't care what the decree is. If it violates my relationship with God, I'm not going to do it. Kill me. Go ahead. I'm going to continue worshiping this God because he's in charge of my life. He knows my destiny. That's where I put my confidence. That's what Daniel did. And we know that the men were found uh, in, in violation of this decree. Daniel was thrown into a lion's den. And in this story, the king gave orders and Daniel was brought in and cast in the lion's den in verse 16. The king spoke to Daniel. I love this. This is the personal relationship that Daniel had with a foreign king. Your God, whom you constantly serve, will himself deliver you. I have to do this. It's my decree. But Daniel, I know your God will overcome this decree. Can you imagine the situation? that Daniel's found himself, that the king said, I got to put you to death, but I know it won't work. Because your God is greater than my decree. Your God is greater than my God. He won him over. That's a man of faith. That's a man who leaned into his culture, leaned into the environment in which he lived, didn't pull back and isolate himself, but he leaned into it and became an influential man the rest of his life in a foreign kingdom to the point where he was so attractive, the king loved him. And it says later, I love that the king comes after the night is over looking for Daniel. It's remarkable, the friendship, how God honored that relationship. Daniel did something right in his later years. He convalesced well by remaining faithful, devoted to prayer. I'm realizing I'm going through a convalescent period right now in my own life. I had decided to take the summer, and we have so many great teachers. We have about eight great teachers on our teaching staff, and it's great to hear other. My daughter's asking me, why, why aren't you teaching the summer? I said, well, we've got great teachers, and it's wonderful to hear different perspectives from different teachers, and uh, and we've got a great series, and it gives me an opportunity to devote some time to some study that I've been wanting to do. I'm reading through Isaiah 40 to 66. I'm reading a great commentary. I'm reading a commentary in the book of Acts as we prepare for the fall in a series through Acts and thinking through our vision and our plan of launching in the fall and, and, and some uh, possibly a new campus and all sorts of staff and some exciting things that are happening at the river and, and some meetings and building a relationship, and also building into my soul. And I realize if that doesn't happen and I do not convalesce, I won't be here in another year. I will grow cynical, angry, disappointed. I'm addressing some of those issues in my life right now. I'm having to. So 
I uh, noticed that my old boss from Saddleback Church, I was down at Saddleback for many years, had written a new book called Replenish. And I went, didn't have a great relationship with him. Liked him, but I didn't have a great relationship with him. I was a, I was a good pastor. I was a bad employee. And so I decided I wasn't going to read his book. And then God decided otherwise because I was listening to another podcast and there he was on the podcast being interviewed about this book and I sat and listened to it from the very first word, Lance Witt began to speak to me. And it was as if, it was like God saying, Todd, Todd, I'm over here. Todd, are you listening to me? Listen, what, what? Oh, and the minute he began speaking, I knew God was speaking through this man. And I was, I listened to the whole podcast, took notes, ordered his book, began reading his book. Emailed him and said, I am so sorry. I was such a pain in the butt. And I was a terrible, terrible employee. And I didn't realize the wisdom that was next door to me in an office away. Thank you for writing this book. You are ministering to my soul. And he responded, oh, Todd, thank you so much for the compliments. It's great to hear about your life. Thank you. I said, would you come sometime and speak to our staff, to our leaders, about how to replenish the soul of the leader? And he said, I would be more than happy to. I mean, I said, it, it was just what I needed. And it's a wonderful book written by Lance Witt called Replenish. He has started a ministry now out of his own hardship and difficulty of going through a dry period in his ministry life. Now he goes around the country consulting and encouraging pastors and leaders and really Christians. It could be written, anybody could read this book. And he begins the book with a story about a megachurch pastor who's preaching, saying, what's missing from the church today? And the guy goes, vision. And Lance thinks in his soul, that's not what's missing. The interior life. The devotion to the interior of our lives is missing. And if that's messed up, everything else is going to fall apart. He gives an illustration in the book about watching a skyscraper go down, and he calls it the, dis the systemic dismantling of the interior. And he says the, the, the wrecking ball continued to crush against the building. And the building stayed up. I wonder what was going on until finally, the interior had been crushed and the entire building came down. He said, that's the picture of the Christian life. From the outside, everything looks pretty good. But if the interior of your life is being dismantled, your whole life will come crushing down at some point in your life. It will happen. And so he writes this book to describe how we need to re-engage our spiritual lives. He quotes Parker Palmer. A leader has a special responsibility to pay close attention to what is going on in the inside themselves, lest the act of leadership does more harm than good. In other words, a leader in a successful ministry, a person in a successful life, a leader in a successful business, from the outside, but is decaying on the inside, will do more harm than good if we do not pay attention to the interior of our lives. He goes through all these quotes, 1,500 pastors basically 
step out of the ministry, get burned out every single month in America. 50% of pastors' wives wish their husbands had not gone into the ministry. 80% of pastors feel as though they'd rather do something else if they could. One in 10 pastors actually retire as a pastor. And I am feeling that right now. I am feeling that. How do I convalesce well to get to the end? To be a good leader. To be a good pastor. To be encouraged. To find my confidence and faith back in God again. He tells the story of Moses. In Exodus chapter 3, Moses, God comes to Moses and says, I need you to lead the people out of, Israel, out of Egypt. And, and Moses is like, who am I? They're not going to follow me. I'm, I've, I've run away from Egypt. And he says, it's not you, it's me. I will be with you. And sure enough, Moses is, is successful. Fast forward to chapter 33 of Moses' life. Moses is once again called upon to lead the people. And you know what the first thing he says is? God, I will not move forward unless you are with me. He got it. He figured it out. You cannot move forward unless the presence of God is in your life. It's all about the interior of your life. Christ is your life, not your ministry, not your job. It's not anything else. The path to external success and internal happiness can be the same road. So what are we going to do? We're going to go through a series of conversions, like Daniel. We're going to give our heart over to something. Whether it's God or whether it's the world or some other God that you believe in, you will convert radically to something in your life that you believe in wholeheartedly. And it will often be through a crisis. And then every area of your life will be converted over at some point. Your money, your time, your ministry, your relationships. And when you get to that point, you begin to thrive. You're going to go through convolutions in your life, believe me. Storms you never expected. And you don't wait until they happen to decide how you're going to respond. Decide now. Job responded, though he slay me, still I will praise him. His life was literally dismantled, destroyed. You don't get your children back. They're gone. It's Larry Crabb's shattered dreams. It's a piece of glass that is shattered. It's not coming back together. And yet, there is a future and there's a hope if you trust God. And then there will be a convalescing time in your life where you learn how to become faithful and devoted three times a day in an in a attitude of devotion and prayer. Get on your knees before God. Deeply go after God and get convalesced back into health to continue the rest of the road and journey. Let's pray. Father, our desire is truly to be people like people of the Bible. Because every time we see someone in the Bible, we know their life wasn't easy. We know their life had many failures in it. But for some reason, they're mentioned because 
God, you blessed them, and they did great work, and they thrived, and they fully lived life. And they didn't just waste their life. They didn't fall back. They didn't hide. They didn't isolate. And Daniel's one of those young men that leaned into the circumstances, and you used him greatly, and he thrived. And I got to believe God at the end of his life, he died a happy man. And that's what I want to do. And I know there's many men and women and young people here this morning asking themselves the same question, how will I live and how will I die? So, Father, give us a heart and desire to live like Daniel. Amen.